From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Friday, August 10th, 2018. He has some stuff he wants to get off his chest, or maybe not, but that's what the segment's called. Um, Danny Flecka joins us. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Um... You live in Boston. Um, you knew from, as a Yankee fan, you knew how big that series was. Um, living in Red Sox country and, and listening to Boston radio, you knew how big they thought that series was. Um, stepping back from it now, you know, one week later, what are your thoughts on that series? And going into the series on Thursday, the news came out that was it Thursday or Wednesday of last week that Sale was not going to be pitching the series he was going to the DL. And as a Yankee fan, I was like, okay, we catch a break in one game. I know it was the first game where, where Brian Johnson's going to pitch. So if there was any game last week that you thought the Yankees could have the advantage in, it'd be the first game. With CC going and they have a uh, you know, AAA guy going basically for them, replacing local guy. You think the Yankees the first game of the series and kind of dictate a little bit what's going to happen the rest of the weekend. And it looked like that early. They got off to a, a 4 nothing lead and the wheels fell off. That third inning, fourth inning, whatever it was, he gets taken out. They bring in Holder. He, he has some points of different mistakes. on uh, a number of different uh, plays. Doesn't get a guy out for eight, eight batters and before you know it, the Yankees pretty much just lead the rest of the series until the seventh inning on Sunday night, which they inevitably choked away. So it was a tough weekend to watch them play. Friday was miserable. They Porcello almost won a complete game without throwing a hundred pitches. Ovaldi, who is good but not that great of a pitcher, shut them down. Uh, they hung in there with Price, and they got a good start from Tanaka in the bullpen, and then Chapman comes in and blows it. So, if I could have dreamed up, like, the nightmare scenario for the Yankees, it, it's what unfolded last weekend. A four-game sweep to Boston, and thoroughly outplayed every single facet of the game, not supporting any run, not even keeping it close, and eventually blowing the one game that you had in the ninth inning with it. Right now, but if they keep winning and at least 
maintain that wild card spot, then they'll be okay. But I really would love for them not to play in that wild card game. What's crazy, and this is something Bill Simmons and Mike Francesa pointed out um, either this week or last week, the Yankees are 30 games over 500, and in New York, it's like they're, they're, they're uh, fans are panicking as if they're the Mets. <laughs> it's crazy how dominant the Sox have been, 81-35 and 35 right now. Um, if you look at the ALE standings, they have a, a 22 and a half game lead on Tampa, 28 game on Toronto, and 45 and a half games lead on Baltimore. It's absurd how dominant they are. The Yankees are 30 games over 500, have a four and a half game lead in the wild card, and yet their fans are panicking as if they're the Mets, who currently down here have only 47 wins and are. Uh, basically 20 games under 500. It, it, it's crazy the emotional toll that series has taken down here. It, 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 it's because of the way it unfolded, I think. But you've got thoroughly demolished up in Boston against your biggest rival to not even compete or even sniff a win was, was difficult from a Yankee perspective. You, they go into that series five and a half games back. You think you can maybe take three or four or split it, at least not lose any ground, they're in good shape and they lost as much ground as you could possibly have lost in that series and I guess the Red Sox have been dominant, they're having a season for the ages, but you know, up here in Boston, they're still not completely content with that team. That's the first series that the Red Sox have, have beat a, a winning team. They've demolished all of the inferior opponents in the AL. And you look at where the games are that the Yankees have lost in the Red Sox, and it's against the team that sucks, like the Blue Jays and the Rays and the Orioles. But they're under 500, I think, against the Orioles, where the Red Sox are 11 and 2. So, the lead for Boston isn't because they've beaten the crap out of the Yankees when they played them, it's, they're 500 against the Yankees. That they've beaten the crap by the teams that suck and the Yankees haven't. So that's kind of the silver lining I'm taking away from the series. Like, it, it was a bad weekend. It happened. It's 162 games, and it, it's just too a lot. It's a lot of games just to be like, you, you can't expect them to be amazing every single time. But when the Red Sox come down to New York, they got to beat the crap out of them. I mean, that's the only solution to it. I think they come there, I see that end of the month, the beginning of September, but. They just seem to be laboring right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, missing Judge and Aaron Boone kind of figuring out how to manage in these high-leverage situations, which we knew was going to happen. You know, the the players aren't necessarily being held accountable for certain things, and, you know, they just have too much talent on that team to not contend for the division, but... At some point in time, you got to realize that, hey, maybe the division isn't our destiny and we got to go out to the wild card and set a team up for that wild card game. That way we go into uh, the division series with uh, an opportunity to go to the World Series. Right now, the Yankees would, would be facing Oakland in that wild card game. They have a two-and-a-half game lead over Seattle um, in that uh, mark. Um, what's interesting about the Yankees, um, if you look at... Um, just the way they've been, um, uh, uh, you know, basically since 
Judge went down, they've they've been able to score runs in in these games. If you go back to the Tampa, um, if, if if you go back to the Tampa Road series, six zero two two rain out five uh, five six six five seven one one. Uh, four. That was the power outage against uh, uh, Boston, and and then against Chicago, seven four seven, and then seven against Tampa. They've been able to find a way to get runs, but they do miss Judge's presence. I I think both out in the field and just the way his bat sets up that whole lineup, and he's still feeling pain. So it, it it'll still be a, a little bit before we see him again. Yeah, he's not coming back anytime soon. I, I think he's out the rest of the month, and. miles per hour on that home run last night uh, 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 for John Carlos Stanton, who has, as you said, up to his season average now to 279, slugging his 521. Let's uh, uh, switch sports here with uh, Danny Fleck on teeing it up. Um, you texted me last night after I uh, showed you Saquon Barkley's uh, first run in a preseason game. You said the Giants will be 8-8. Eight and eight. It doesn't matter. Why are you so sure here in on August tenth, but last night August 9th, that um, it that that this team will be eight and eight? Just look at their division. They gotta play the Eagles twice, Cowboys twice, Redskins twice. <laughs> Look at their division. Excuse me. Um, and we know the NFC East, even though if they have a down year, like those games are. Are physical. They're tough. To go forward between that division is is tough. So to see them going forward too, that means they're beating the Eagles, Cowboys, and Redskins at least once, and then one of those teams twice. 
And then you take a look at the schedule that they have. They go to they have Jacksonville week one, which is tough. Um, they play the AFC South, which should be a little bit better than it was last year. I mean, Watson's back. We're texting for the Texans. Titans should be better. Andrew Luck's back for the Colts. So, you know, those games are not going to be as easy as potentially they were last year. You know, if they were playing the Texans last year in the middle of the year without Watson, then, yeah, you're looking at a different result. Um, and just overall, I guess the NFL is, is difficult to predict, but after watching what they did last year, it's tough to say, okay, they're going to win 10 games. And, yeah, that happens, but they need a lot to go right for them. And knock on wood right now, they're, they're healthy. But they have a new coach. Everyone's talking about Eli being on the decline or, or already been declined or whatever it is. It's tough for me to see them being the upper class of the NFC this year, especially if what happened last year, which is like a rash of injuries to top players on top teams, uh, go down. Like Aaron Rodgers, you know, knock, again, knock on wood, he's not going to get hurt again. And um, Philadelphia is the perennial favorite to, to win it again and the Cowboys should be better they have a full season of, of Elliott back um, so for them again even with the playoffs they need a lot of things to go right yeah I mean, even even the Jets, who should be improved, um, you know, they they were turning in the right direction. It's a good defense. It's a young offense. I think this is Josh McCown's team. Um, they also need a lot to go right to have any kind of chance of of, of going far um, inside of a uh, playoff run. Who right now on paper do you consider the best player in the NFL? Maybe not your first fantasy pick. But who is the best player in the National Football League? It has to be Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he completely changes the game for the Packers when he's in there. He can make every throw. He can do everything that you want a quarterback to do. It's going to be interesting to see how he plays this year without Jordy Nelson. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham substituted in there. He's never been a big utilizer of his tight end. So it's going to be... I think a little bit of a different type of offense they run as far as draft combinations and situational stuff, but you, you got to say that Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the NFL. There's, there's no, I, I think, even close competitor. People will say Tom Brady and everything else like that, but, but I think a best player is going to be sustainable for the next three or four years, and unfortunately for Brady, despite everything he's done, he's 41, and yeah, he'll will the Patriots to twenty to twelve wins this year again, like he always does. But you throw Aaron Rodgers on that team, and I think people think a little bit differently of the Patriots. As weird as that sounds, you know, coming out of someone's mouth, you, you got to think that Aaron Rodgers makes any team that he's on that much better. And the Packers went from a potential Super Bowl contender last year to what was it, seven and nine, eight and eight without him, and. They were laboring when they were getting those wins, too, with Brett Hundley in there. So I, I think Aaron Rodgers' team is the complete tenor of the outlook of the NFL. And I know that Green Bay is happy that he's back. And I hope that he gets to stay healthy because he's awesome to watch play. Like He's a lot of fun as a fan to watch and the things that he does like no one else can do on the football field. Uh, he can throw it uh, uh, very far for Hail Marys. We've seen that a bunch where he is the king of Hail Marys. Who right now do you think is the best team in football? Right now, I, 
I think a lot of people aren't giving the Saints enough chatter. I know that Kamara has come out and said some things recently that maybe he shouldn't be saying. But part of me agrees with what he did say, that if they had beaten Minnesota, they were my pick to win that game in Philly. I think they would have matched up really well with them uh, from an offensive and defensive you know, standpoint. They have um, a lot of weapons. They seem to reinvent themselves you know, throughout the season. Drew Brees is about as consistent of a quarterback as you can get, even though, again, despite his age, he knows exactly what he's doing and what's asked of him. Um, young defense, fast defense, great home field advantage when they're playing at home. Um, they've been able to play on the road recently the last couple of years, which is good for them. And uh, even last year in that Minnesota game, they were down and out, and they came back and were winning. And they should have won that game, and I still can't believe they didn't. But I think the Saints are one of those teams this year, I think they're 20-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl, that I would throw my money down on. I like what they've got down there. The NFC South is going to be tough, as it, as it has been in the last couple of years. But... Um, I like the Saints a lot this year. I think that they're going to build off that year they had last year. Uh, they brought in uh, a very, I think, um, under-the-radar signing in Cameron Meredith. I think he's going to be a big up, upgrade for them in the wide receiving core. They, they do miss Ingram for the first four weeks of the season, but once he comes back, you know, they'll have established Kamara, and I think teams will be a little bit more thrown off by what he's going to be doing when he's in the game. So I really like what the Saints have, and I think that they aren't getting enough talk about what they potentially could become if they are able to, to get to the playoffs. Uh, final thing, uh, ESPN announced last week that the college game day will open its season on the road. It's in South Bend, Indiana. For Michigan-Notre Dame, you are a Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan. Uh, do you give them a shot this year at doing anything big come playoff time? I think they're going to compete. I think they have a tough schedule. They always seem to have a tough schedule. They, you know, Michigan, opening up with Michigan at home is, is a tough game. I mean, you set the tenor for the rest of your season in college football when you open up with a game like that. Um, they have some questions uh, on the offensive line. They lost two guys to the NFL. They were top ten picks. Uh, they lost a lot of their backfields and a lot of their wide receivers, but... Brian Kelly's done a good job of recruiting and getting people in there. I think they'll be 9-3, 8-4. I, I think that their quarterback play is going to be a, a big piece of how far they go. One Bush is a great runner. His accuracy really came to question last year. I think he was under 55%, so they really need him to be able to to uh, step that up. And, you know, Notre Dame got a lot of big games last year from their rushing attack, and they got to find someone that's going to be able to do that this year, but they'll fight, they'll compete, I, I don't think they'll be in the playoffs, I think they're going to be looking at the same teams again in the playoffs this year, and that's Alabama, Clemson, maybe Georgia, depending on, on how their season unfolds, um, Washington might be a team that's going to battle for, for a spot in that, and then you know, a team from the Big Ten, whether that's Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State. Anything else you want to say on this podcast? Um, I'm good for now. That is Danny Flecky. He's gotten everything off his chest, which is the whole goal of the Off Your Chest segments. We thank him for coming on the air. We thank you for listening. This is Tinging Up with Jeremy Schilling, and we will see you next time.